Welcome back to What's Dom Thinking About? It's your host, Dominic. And this week I'm thinking about D&D, and we actually have a guest with us. Uh, our guest today is uh, Riley. Um, welcome, Riley. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You're doing all right? So, yeah, yeah that that's good. Do anything fun recently with everything going on? Yeah, actually, um, I was practicing some social distancing, and uh, took my bike out with Caleb. And we got our masks on, and we uh, rode down one of the uh, less populated bike trails here in the along Columbia River. So that was nice. real nice. Nice, getting crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, today I was thinking we'd talk about uh, world building in D and D. So kind of like my. Uh, I guess for those of you at home, um, both Riley and I are pretty avid uh, Dungeons & Dragons players, and we're both DMs, so Dungeon Masters, and I I know I love playing the game, and I'm assuming you do too. (laughs) Oh no, I just do it because I'm I'm forced to. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense, just stuck as a forever DM. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so... uh, talking about world building when you're creating and starting on a world or a campaign wh- where do you like to start well the first place i usually start is just the general idea of what i need what i need the world for um generally if i'm making something that i don't plan on using very often it'll be something really simple like a the one shot that you and I are about to play tomorrow is solely for the fo- purpose of running one shots. And so I made a small region map and I decided to start with the, the geography, just the physical boundaries of where this one shot is going to take place in. Um, for larger things like my world of Nyria, uh, I started again with a map because I'm really big into geography and then slowly populated it with lore and the campaign ideas that I would need throughout the world. Okay. That seems like a pretty, pretty nice place to start. I know for me, I'm not a big geography guy. So when I start, I know I like to, I I steal maps from other people because I'm creative (laughs) like that. And I'll, I'll just use the, whatever I find online and then pick a section or a region that I know my players are going to start in and then kind of give the lore for um, that area rather than everywhere else. And then I don't know if it's a something I, – I, I feel like it's something I should probably work on. But as I move throughout the campaign, I don't populate areas or places really. Um, with ideas or lore until my players decide they need to go there. So in mm-hmm. in the campaign I'm running right now, um, my players start in the city of Tidecrest. So I have a lot of stuff planned uh, for the city of Tidecrest in, in the country. Mm-hmm. And I have a little bit of information on the remaining cities around the country, but I don't have a whole lot. And it, it's once my players really decide that they need to go somewhere else 
that I really get into um, working on that next place and then the spots around that. Right now they're trying to go to uh, a city in the middle of this large, probably closer to a sea, not not really a, uh, not a lake, but it's called uh, God's Rest. And mm-hmm. I had no plans for what would be there. I'm like, that's a that's a city there that sh- that sure is it's over there and they're like okay we need to go there for whatever uh whatever quest that i had given them and i'm like all right cool so now i gotta populate the city and try to <laughs> start filling stuff in and so that's probably like a weakness i have um like as a dm trying to trying to build expanding lore i'm really good on focusing on one particular area for my players um mm-hmm. kind of speaking like on like my weakness uh do you think you have any weaknesses when it comes to world building uh as far as world building goes when i get into big worlds like the one i just posted into the group chat right now i think i also tend to focus on certain points and then finding filler for in between points of interest are, are probably some of my biggest biggest downfalls okay. um, and I, I think you'll find that it is a common problem with a lot of DMs uh, as far as like traveling goes when you're going from one city to the next what happens what happens what is there to see is there any miscellaneous side adventures going on is it just pretty scenery yeah. uh, I know a lot of GMs use uh, random encounter tables and I can go either way on those it's Sometimes they're fun. Sometimes they just kind of, kind of throw things off. Yeah. But uh, it's really kind of up to the players to to see how how they handle it and um, where they where they take it. It could take you uh, someplace completely, completely off the beaten track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that that like you said, a lot of people and a lot of DMs really struggle with. And it, in the past, uh, for me, I feel like I've been pretty good about that. Um, letting my players give that like filler side quest kind of stuff. Um, generally, uh, when I try to give my players um, a quest and they gotta go from point A to point B, um, I try to give them something in between that they can do along the way. Um, like, um, like say they need to collect particular plant samples. Um, and they're traveling along the the side of uh, a mountain range, um, and there's plant samples both in the mountain range and the forest next to the mountain range that they have to collect. And I'll kind of like give them things to do as they travel from point A to point B, and then maybe while they're collecting random plant samples or whatever, they have an encounter with whatever uh, with whatever particular monster might be lurking there. Oh, that's a neat idea. I like that. Yeah, and it's it gives them something to do while also waiting for the next point. And I'm also a big believer in just asking my players just what they want to do. Some DMs have, um, really struggle with that as well, where they'll be like, okay, you're going to go from here to here. Okay, we're going to just kind of skip everything in between. Boom, you're there, and kind of fast travel. Um, where at times yeah, that's, exactly. Where at times that that works if like the whole party's like, yeah, we don't want to do this thirteen times when we have to go back and forth. 
Um, mm-hmm. But like, uh, I had players who had to go uh, up a river to a mountain range from from the sea, and along the way, we ended up spending. It should have the whole the whole time we spent on this river should have been twenty thirty minutes, like in in life in real lifetime, and we uh-huh. ended up spending three and a half hours there because our paladin fell over the side of the b- edge of the boat wearing heavy armor <laughs> and, oh, and man. two nat ones trying to swim and make his strength save and he ended up dying and oh drowning. gosh it, it, it was really brutal so i'll, I'll kind of tell you the story so i had four players at the time one two three four mm-hmm. or maybe five and they had to go um, from Tidecrest to uh, the dwarves in the mountains to get their help trying to rebuild part of Tidecrest after an earthquake. And uh, so they decide to take the barge up the river, which would cut their travel time by half. And the first the first day they're on the boat, um, I'm like, all right, what do you guys want to do? Like, what you kind of do is up to here, and I can fill in based off of whatever you guys want to do. They're like, Let's fish. I'm like, fishing. I love it. I love fishing. Great idea. That can lead to some cool encounters. Tight. And so uh, two of my players ended up actually jumping in the water. Um, Both of them had water breathing from what I remember. Um, Either that or they just had really high constitution so they could stay underwater for a long time. Um, But one was a... um, What are the little... Cobalt, that's what they're called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and he survived on his own as a as a uh, as a sorcerer for a while, and so he had kind of some background fishing in in lakes and rivers and stuff. And so these two guys, they're they're in the water fishing. I have another player who found some, who had bought a fishing set, or two players who had bought a fishing set. And then my fifth player, he's like, well, I don't really have fishing equipment. And the party's like, you could always try spear fishing, and so we were kind of like talking about that, how that would work, and we got that figured out. And he's like, okay, I want to go and I want to go to the edge of the ship and spear fish. I'm like, that's a bummer. Your spear is five feet long, but the river is six feet away. What what a <laughs> what a yikes! And so he's like, okay, well I'm gonna. So he's a tabaxi, by the way, tabaxi paladin. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna hang over the edge of the ship and try to mm. try to fish i'm like okay make a i think i had to make athletics check two i'm like well Oof. uh you fall in the river and then at at that time i'm like typing in i'm like okay what happens when someone wears armor and they're in they're in the water you need a strength save of like 27 to remain floating wearing oh. heavy armor yeah it's insane and he had a plus one to strength. Yikes. Yep. And so first save. So it's sink 20 feet every round unless you pass a save. And then if you nat 20, you go 10 feet up. But if you nat one, you sink at double the rate. Twice Oof. in a row, he rolled nat ones and sink basically right to the bottom of the river. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, the rest of the party tried uh, saving him, and they eventually got him back up on deck. And they didn't know what to do, and they're like, "Okay, uh, we want to roll medicine to save him." 
And so I'm like, mm. go ahead, roll roll medicine check. The first guy, not one. I'm like, ooh, yes. Oh, no. So like, oh, well, I've heard of something where, like, you, you pierce the lung and, like, the what gets rid of the water or something. I'm like, all right, cool, you try that. He's like, yeah, I tried that, um, and I stab him in the throat. Oh, no. Stabs him in the throat. It's real watery, you know, because... <laughs> That that was the act, and then the other one is like, "Oh no, that doesn't look good. I want to roll medicine to help." Not one. <laughs> oh my goodness, were you using like weighted dice or something? <laughs> no, I promise, I promise. And normally, I would say like, "Wow, even I, I wouldn't expect my players to die from just just a couple nat ones or some some bad rolls, but." That many nat ones in a row, I th I think he's just destined to go. Yeah, there was multiple like twos and threes while they were trying to rescue him because they had to make strength saves from the bottom of a hundred foot river to try to get him up and most rope is only 60 feet long so they had to like figure out how to do all of the stuff to get him up and so the second player he's like medicine check and he rolls the nat one and he's like i've heard of being able to use electricity to jump start somebody's heart i'm like okay what are you going to try he's like i want a chromatic orb lightning point blank on his chest i'm like okay well that's a coup de gras <laughs> and so for those for those of you who don't know what that is that's an automatic critical hit and then just essentially max damage because it's on a unconscious unmoving opponent and so he he does See, that and hits him for like 55 like lightning damage at level one oh goodness <laughs> so See, it, it blows that, a hole through that... his chest and through through decks of the ship <laughs> that I understand. That I would definitely deal damage to the the paladin for that. But if you'd use something like uh, shocking grasp, that's uh, that's either cantrip or level one, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. But that one, that one seems like defibrillator. So if yeah. they if they'd use that one as as a uh, for, for kind of a, a med medicinal purpose, then I, I might have been more uh, lenient with him. Oh, yeah, I would have. Yeah, chromatic orb, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, he's like, a chromatic orb. I'm like, well, this could be an issue, buddy. <laughs> like, oh, man. But, yeah, so, like, that whole encounter took two and a half, three hours in lifetime, and that was, that wasn't even, they didn't even get to where they were supposed to be yet. That was just day one of four days on a river. <laughs> And so sometimes you don't even have to design stuff yourself for your players to do. They'll just come up with it on their own, and <laughs> you just mm. got to go with it. And honestly, I think that those always make the best stories because it's it's not something you'd expect. And it, kinda, it just kind of goes in the theme of uh, the social storytelling thing. It's not just the DM here for the story. It's, it's the players, too. Yeah, definitely. I try to give my players as often as I can the opportunity to to do whatever they want and like talk amongst themselves. And I I think my favorite moments as a DM are when I don't have to say anything and they can just talk for oh, yes. for 20 or 30 minutes about whatever they're going to do, only looking at me for responses from the occasional NPC or whatever. Those are definitely the best cuz then that's when you know they're immersed. Yeah. And so, uh, kind of uh, speaking of immersion, how do you, how do you try to get your players most immersed when most immersed in your world when you're, when you're DMing? Well, uh, 
I've tried a few different methods uh, for the few games that I've played or that I've run. Um, I've experimented with picture images uh, of things I pulled off of Google uh, to try and to try and help paint a picture of what they're seeing around them. Uh, I used that for the Hell Solstice one shot. Were you there for that one? Where you went to the little fishing village of Hell? Yes, yes. And you were I yes was. the the the, the treants and whatnot. Yes. Yep, I remember that. Mm -hmm. So I was I was trying to include as many pictures and images uh, as I could to uh, to assist in my storytelling for where I would lack in imagery. Okay. Um, I would think back to uh sounds starting to sound like homework but i'll i'll, <laughs> I'll think back to uh my my literature classes and the books that i've read and trying to improve my diction for uh for describing the the surroundings the especially when we're doing travel travel scenes yeah. um surrounding geographical features the climate the the little details that they see around the, each other um, oh, you asked me earlier what one of my weaknesses was. Uh, I realized after running a, uh, after running the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, uh, I could do a lot better as far as describing and building my dungeons, being creative about the the dungeons. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like uh, there's for the game being called Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that a lot of DMs really lack the, a lot, uh, the skills of properly designing a dungeon. I mean, there's, Absolutely. like, there's no one way to do it, but, like, it's something that struggles with. So, like, we had that talk with Seth, um, earlier this week about what is a dungeon. Like, mm -hmm. like, uh, there's people who want to get in, but how do you, how do you describe a dungeon? There's no one cookie cutter cookie cutter dungeon it could be could be a, a sunken pirate ship it could be could be a mountain pass it could be an mm. actual dungeon it could be an abandoned castle it could be mm. really anything and i yeah. think i love that and that's why that's why i generalized it as just any location with uh significant encounters of any sort whether it's uh combat encounters role-playing encounters investigation traps and whatnot and uh, I actually tried to incorporate that idea that there's there's many different kinds of encounters in the one shot that we're going to be playing tomorrow. So you'll get to see you'll get to see how I uh, how I try and play with all the different aspects. I've tried to go far more detail and depth into this new uh, into this next one shot that I'm making instead of vast macro huge world ideas. <laughs> well, I'm excited. Yeah. So, maybe if maybe if you're interested, we could uh, we could talk about that that next time. Yeah, that that'd be that'd be awesome. I'd love to do that. Um, now, that, what else were we talking about? There was another thing I wanted to I wanted to touch. So, kind of uh, while you're thinking about that, really quick, when when you think of so in the past, you you talked about how after running I Spire Peak, I think that's what uh, it was. Um, you said you want to yes. get better at building dungeons. How did you do that before, and how do you want oh. to see yourself improve on that? That reminds me. I, I know what I was going to say now. I just read an article today that was 
commenting and kind of criticizing Wizards of the Coast and uh, the makers of D&D okay. for their lack of explanation on how to build and run dungeons in Dungeons & Dragons. Now, of course, we got the the Dungeon Master's uh, book, the, the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yeah. Uh, but that only gives, like, the rough outline and then a few, you know, pre-built items that you can use from it. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they went much more in depth as far as describing the world and balancing the the dungeons and how to effectively run it so that it's entertaining for your players in previous editions of Dungeons and Dragons in editions one and two, and then like three, he said that it just became assumed that players would know how to to make these dungeons and run these dungeons. Oh. And they kind of fell out of, of adding detail. I haven't made my way through the entirety of the Dungeon Master's Guide yet, so maybe I'm missing something. Um, but it was it was an interesting read. Uh, I'll see if I can find the uh, the the link to it and send it to you. All right, cool. It's some guys some some guys blog. Yeah, I think um, I have my DMG right here, and I. I'm looking at and I, I I did read I I have gone through and read through the uh through the DMG and there's three pages dedicated to dungeons, mapping a dungeon, and then that's really it. Yeah, that's that's awfully slim. I I didn't notice any more myself. Yeah. What is like a 285 page book or something like that? Yeah, yeah roughly. Yeah, and so there's running the game, between adventures, treasure, but there's not a whole lot to actually building a dungeon. Um, and I think building a dungeon could be fun and challenging at the same time. Um, and I think for I think for people to people who want to start uh, DMing and want to get more into into that, um, one one thing to really think about when you're building your dungeon is where where's the location because the location can change the location changes how everything can work with each other if you're in a cave you got to be careful of oh, cave-ins um that changes the kind of uh monsters you might face in there that that could change the kind of loot that you might find in there uh you're probably not going to find elven gear deep in the mountain caves you'll probably find yeah, maybe right. dwarven gear kobolds um you're more likely to find like uh can't remember what they're called but they're monsters that drop from the ceiling um, oh yeah the the dark mantles yeah dark mantles you're more likely to find those than when you're in a forest i mean anything can be reflavored re to go in any environment but you really got to think about your environment and what you might see what you might see there and what you can prepare for that because um, if you have monsters and things in locations where they shouldn't be or where they it might not work then you could run into some issues with immersion as your players are like this doesn't feel right this doesn't feel mm, correct absolutely yeah setting is absolute key when it comes to to world building anything um i i mentioned previously i didn't i didn't use the, the same diction but uh i'll start with the idea the setting the setting of the world that i need mm -hmm. and then uh, apply that to the geography of yeah. of the world. Mm -hmm. That that setting is definitely so so important when trying to trying to create a world, even just a, a single town. 
Um, this the setting will just give off the vibe for the rest of the time the players are in there. How you describe walking into a town um, will change the players' view on it. If all the houses are in are in rows and columns on one side of town, and then the whole market's on the on the other side, where you see a definite a definite divide between the classes, the players are going to know there's something uh, weird there. Um, whereas if you had a town where it seems like everyone, no matter what they're doing, is, like, mingling and, like, getting along, then the mm. players have an idea that that's a friendlier place, and that's all because of the setting you've created for them. That's super important. Yeah, and from setting, just like uh, your your little uh, your little river encounter there, uh, that's, where, that's where your story springs from. Now, I wanted to go back to your the question you asked earlier about how to get better at running those dungeons okay. that even though the, the Dungeon Master Guide doesn't offer very much resources for, uh, I found that it, it really is just practice. Yeah. Uh, running my, my very first long-term campaign with um, some of my, my childhood friends, my high school friends, uh, really helped instill confidence in me so having patient players uh definitely helps for you to throw your ideas out to practice and one thing that was really nice about that group was it was a late night group we were all tired and i'm still just a rookie rookie dm at the time uh so they are totally cool with me just leading the way they were more than fine with me trying out and experimenting with fast travel and one tracking and open world exploration and going back and forth between different ideas finding what's more comfortable for you as dm because yeah. every dm has a style yeah definitely and and there's not there's no real wrong style um and for for those of you looking into being more of a dm um tell if it's your first time tell your players that it's your first time and that you're not gonna you're not going to be prepped for every single thing that might come up at at one time and that that's fine you don't have to be prepped for for every single situation in 30 bajillion scenarios uh in, in my campaign that i'm running right now my players were able to accidentally summon a pyramid in the middle of the, oh, the yes. city and they had to fight a mummy lord and they ended up using two bags of holding um, they put one inside the other, creating a rift to another plane, and that ended the encounter. They got the loot, but I could have never planned for a Mummy Lord fight in a pyramid in the middle of the main city of the campaign. Like, there's just <laughs> so much you can't plan for. Didn't you end up losing a player to that to that rift as well? I did. So I had one <laughs> player. It was the same player who actually drowned in the river. Um, no. <laughs> it, it, yeah, same same PC. Um, we've had two character deaths, and they were both him. No, we had three. We had three, um, but two two were him. Um, it, it it was a crazy story. I I leave right after they start the encounter, so I'm like, all right, you guys see the mummy? Roll initiative. Then I left to go get pizza that I had ordered. I come back. And they're looking real sad. We get through three rounds of the fight. They're like the the mummy lord is ridiculously strong. It's putting them at one two health 
after one hit, mm-hmm. and then it can mm-hmm. be immune to all damage for the rest of the <sighs> turn. It's 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 a like combat rating of like nineteen or twenty or something. It's insane, and my players are level five, <laughs> and so like they're they're fighting this, and they're like, guys, it's time, and I'm like, what? And they threw this plan together in the twenty minutes I was waiting for pizza, and. <laughs> And they, the, the we had a player gone, but they got all the loot, um, which included legendary gear and lots of gold. And now they're turning the whole pyramid into a, a, a boxing center to mm-hmm. to make money. And like, there's no way I could have ever planned for that in in any world. Like, there's that that's just something you can't predict. And mm-hmm. and as as you're planning an adventure and a dungeon. No, there'll be things you won't be able to predict and things you just can't do because, you know, you, you can't control everything as as much as we try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Um, Another thing on getting better at running dungeons and being prepared for crazy situations like this, um, well, as much as you can be anyway, <laughs> Uh, running pre-built adventures made by the the Wizards of the Coast uh, yeah. is a super super great starting start line. I would recommend any any DM start with a pre-built adventure, uh, even just the short easy ones, uh, to get an idea of how to balance things out so that uh, <laughs> hopefully impossible situations don't always arise, but um, but to also make even mundane uh, dungeon delving and and crawling interesting and exciting yeah. and, and feasible. Yeah. Um, I, I actually saw some, uh, for, for people who are kind of looking into more running a pre-built, um, the dungeon dudes on YouTube are really good. Uh, they're, they're really good two guys who run, who do a lot of D&D videos. And they had a. They even have videos on how to run a published uh, adventure module, and then they kind of have like a rank for like best to like or worst to best, best to worst. However, um, of all the pre-built models and modules that are already out there, um, to really that can really help give players a grasp on going through the process of doing everything, because it can really be a big task to take on running a campaign and then you think oh i gotta build my whole world and now i gotta learn how to do dungeons while i gotta learn how to world build while i learn how to role play and pre-built modules like you said are great ways to to really start that process without having to be so worried and stressed about the just about everything i think that that that's a super great point that you brought up that i almost forgot about Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the reason I I actually and I didn't start off with a uh, <laughs> with a a pretty bit module was a little bit a little bit of my own hubris. I thought I would I thought I was uh, creative enough to to wing it to do it without. But uh, uh, I found out pretty quickly that having the experience of these these professionals put things together for you and show you kind of the format of how D and D is supposed to be played. Uh, and also take notes. Take notes, take notes, take notes. Yep. Because even if you can't use those notes for the specific 
encounter you expected. You can say, say you prepare an encounter, an ambush of some sort that's going to happen to a players in in a particular town uh, in their quest, and you're like, okay, by the time they get here, I want I want this investment so to happen. Yeah. And they decide, no, nope, nope, we're going to go completely off in the other direction. Well, as long as they don't know, there's nothing wrong with erasing the name on on your notes and reusing those notes so that you don't get completely caught off guard. You don't get completely thrown to the wolves, so to speak, uh, as far as improvising goes. Yeah, now, I was, I I was would... actually about to bring that up, how, like, they maybe even if you'd like, oh, two options to do this, maybe it's not throwing you off. You have City A and City B you can go to. They can be the same exact city as long as they don't know. Mm-hmm. If they haven't been to one Which, or the other, then it can just be the same place reflavored for what you need. <coughs> Which seems kind of cheap because it, it is kind of the illusion of freedom. Yeah. But I would definitely, definitely recommend notes to keep the consistency because oh, otherwise yeah. then your magic is going to dissolve. Yeah. And it's just not going to be nearly as, as fun because you'd be like, wait a second, I thought we already encountered this. We already took care of this in that other city. This is exactly the same. Yeah, that that's something you do have to be careful of. So, like, say they choose to go to City B, then you're like, okay, now I know City A has to be different. Then maybe mm-hmm. in the same mission, they, they decide to go to City B as well, and then you got to get something else mm-hmm. just to – just to make sure that that's that's that uh, immersion isn't ruined. And there's so many good resources on the internet that are just random random D and D town generators. There's so many excellent generate like just random generators mm-hmm. out there that can be so helpful in a pinch. I've used multiple on multiple occasions. Um, one good website that I use a lot is the Dungeons Master Vault. They they have a huge oh, list. Yeah. They just have a huge list of a bunch of just random generators there. They have help wanted signs, NPC generators, city generators, rumor generators, magic items, wanted posters, mm-hmm. beware of whatever monster. And it there there's just so much help nowadays to to kind of get that for for players to really or for DMs to be able to ease up on themselves and not stress over every little thing yeah absolutely and again with that uh the taking notes and using these generators that is one of the really cool dynamics of D is that your world grows and is alive and it develops as you play the game as you get further into your campaign as your players come up with all sorts of nonsense that bring things into existence, such as Aspir to the east. Uh, yes, Aspir of the east. Mm-hmm. Um, for th- for those of you at home, uh, Aspir. Uh, I was I was playing in Riley's campaign, and I was playing as a character, and I didn't take notes at what all the countries were in the in his world. And the, another player asked me where I was from as I was introduced later in the campaign, and I said Aspir. No clue where that is. It's just off far in the east. You've never heard of it. I'm a far traveler. And now Riley has a whole new country or maybe just small region named Aspir that was created out of thin air that he that he didn't plan about. Yeah, and there's been there's been a couple uh references to 
Aspir since you've been gone. Oh, really? And I've had to, on the spot, come up with some lore about <laughs> what's going on <laughs> in this country to the east. Oh, and so you, you literally gave birth to a brand new country in in my already built world that I was that I was crafting. <laughs> oh, I'm it's, so sorry. It's constant. <laughs> oh, don't be sorry. I love it. I think it's awesome. I might uh, I might respell Aspir a little bit, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, think I think that's one of the, one of the magical things about D and D is that your players will will contribute just as much to the story as you can sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, start when I started my own campaign, I had two fully built cities i think with like places there and things to do and then my players are like okay well we need to go to this other city instead and i'm like cool sure that works and then they just add to whatever that city say they they, they want to go to some sort of large university i hadn't planned a large university on on the map anywhere close hogwarts <laughs> yeah and so I'm like, okay, well, we'll make it in, 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 in that city over there on, on your map. And they're like, okay, yeah, that means we got to go there. And then in my head, I'm like, okay, that means I got to build something there. And, and, and like, that, that's just so much fun watching your players be like, okay, we, we want to do this. And then, that, then it just exists because cause they wanted to do it. to Like, like you were saying, just... It just brings so much magic and life into the setting and into the world. I, I absolutely love that. So you mind if I ask you a question? Go ahead. Where do you get a lot of your inspiration for when you're building your worlds? When you first start with a setting or with an idea of the world that you want or some of the – even just like little pieces like the lore, the specific pieces of lore that you want in your, that you want in your, your world. So, uh, I got a I got a mix of things. Um, one thing I do, um, so like when I first started building my world, almost two years ago, maybe a little over two years, maybe a little over two years ago now, I started with a, with just a map. I wanted a map so that way I could build a setting around it. Uh, so I went online and um, I actually sent you a picture of the map on Discord. I went and found yeah, that map right somewhere posted years ago on Reddit. Um, uh, <coughs> sorry. And I'm like, cool, a map can give me a setting for what I need and I can build specific pieces of lore based off of based off of that map. So um, you can see there's some drawn around parts uh, down there uh, around the around the Holy See there at that bottom continent. And I'm like, okay, I'll make my players start here and I can build out from around where they need to be. And then I can start building different se sections and chunks um, about what group is controlled by. And uh, on the bottom right of that continent, you can see the Orcish lands. Boom, orcs are there. Just tons of orcs. That's that's the orcish lands. Don't gotta worry about that. And then I use a lot of wizards of the coast lore um, for for how stuff works, because um, the, there's a lot of like really intricate stuff that I really like that they do that um, maybe I'm not. I don't think I'm creative enough to do on my own. So like the beef between the kobolds and the gnomes, where the gnome god captured and imprisoned the kobold god. Um, I couldn't have come up with that, but that's really interesting 
um, lore between now two characters I have. One's a gnome, one's a kobold. And that the kobold hates the gnome, but the gnome has no particular feelings towards the whole issue. And so um, I, I, like, I use Wizards of the Coast for a good chunk of the lore. I think in the book, which one? It was either Xanathar's Guide to Everything, or it was maybe Volo's Guide to Monsters. Um, no, okay, so it, it was in Mordekin's Tome of Foes. There's a whole section in there on the wars between the devils and the demons, and the whole section is oh, like yeah. 50, 60 pages long. Yeah, and, the Blood War. Yeah, the Blood War, and I could have have come up with 60 pages worth of lore for a plane that my players will probably never visit. Um, and then uh, I, I had another character come in, and he wanted to essentially be frozen in time but be from the Blood War. And so I'm like, cool, I have this plethora of knowledge already at my hands that I can mm -hmm. use, and that, that was perfect. Um that was perfect for me. And then a lot of, um, back to your question, a lot of lore that I create as well comes from ideas from Reddit. There's so many different Reddit pages out there dedicated to D&D. Oh, yeah. Unearthed Arcana. There's the normal D&D. And I just love scrolling through those and just looking for for different ideas um, on maybe how some things work. I know there's multiple times where I've, gone through and just save stuff because I'm like that's that's a great idea maybe maybe I need to use that in the future like that could be that could be really nice mm. and so um that just reddit has been super helpful for me throughout my entire world building process in fact um, whenever I would have an idea when first starting I would go and post it um, on Reddit and ask for help on how to improve and build upon the idea so that way I can build a more immersed world, a more immersed uh, setting, and uh, even just interactions. Um, there, there was one guy that uh, I kind of met on there who was super helpful and super nice to me through the whole process of helping giving me ideas and just going through the process step by step as someone who's never done it before. And that was, that was super helpful, just having people to bounce ideas off of. And there's also nothing wrong with stealing fiction from somewhere else. <laughs> right. like, like, there's a cool encounter in the Percy Jackson books, maybe? Cool, I'm going to put that right into the campaign. Players probably won't even notice. Like, no, that Hydra fight scene was awfully cool. Yeah. I would not mind a, a Hydra scene. I, oh, I've been wanting to throw a Hydra at my players for a really long time now and the only place i could think to do it so far actually i'm gonna stop there <laughs> <laughs> i just realized uh, i don't want to give away spoilers so yeah all right yeah anyway and so <laughs> and so like there's just some like there's nothing wrong with stealing from fiction and getting ideas I mean, in every world I've been a part of, in every whether I'm player or PC, I there's someone named Terry there. I in in the campaign I run, I have King Terry. In your campaign, my character is Terry. In another campaign, um, my best friend who's watching over my child while I'm adventuring, his name is Terry. 
I just have an expanded Terry universe, and the the character is just Terry Crews. <laughs> just expanded Terry Crews universe, and so, like, even they're they're all essentially just different versions of Terry Crews, King Terry Crews, Warrior Terry Crews, and that it's it's just fun. There's nothing wrong with just taking your idea and just running with it, modeling somebody after after a character. And so that that's where I get a lot from a lot of my ideas as well is just existing fiction because there's so mm-hmm. many ideas that that you can just get from watching a TV show or a movie or from reading a book, and I I just love that I love sitting there I'm like oh wait that could be a good encounter that could be a lot of fun or ooh that's a good moral conundrum to give my players, mm-hmm. and so that that's kind of where I built off a. A lot of my stuff and then of course there's always just my own creative ideas that I'm just s- sitting there thinking I'm like this is perfect I would love to do this and um, like my introduction for my campaign that I use or that I'm doing um, I I came up with that a hundred percent on my own just thinking of how to introduce my players um, without f- forcing them and railroading them to be hard together where it's like oh you're all in a you're all in a a, an inn looking for work like that's Mm -hmm. that to me that to me that was just kind of a boring introduction for characters so i really wanted to give them something fun and interesting and so i had there be a gladiator style um battle tournament for each of the classes in my world and essentially the whole city gets shut down and everyone goes there and then while everyone's there the earthquake hits and then while the players are recovering from the earthquake they meet together kind of, i mean there's a little bit of railroading when introducing characters but then they meet together and then while they're all together the king's guard finds them and then asks them for their help and they're like oh well we're all here together to help so might as well go help and then it just builds from there and then they start working together and uh, I I, th- I feel like that's probably been one of my brightest moments as a DM <laughs> was just coming up with my own solid introduction idea like that and nice and so th- there yeah there's just a couple of different ways that I started world building um, but I think definitely there's definitely moments you feel more proud of when you can come up with them on your own rather than take it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's there's just so many resources out there that can even help you when you start. Um, uh, another one that I, that I really enjoy going through is DM Academy on Reddit, r slash DM Academy. Yes, I am subscribed to it. <laughs> yeah, and it's my favorite. In fact, I saved something from about a week ago and it's called uh, how japanese storytelling saved my campaign and um there's a a form of japanese traditional japanese storytelling and the guy used it in his campaign to help things to help out his campaign because he was because he wasn't having fun and the he wasn't having fun with his players and so just getting help from people online is a huge thing you can do there's so many groups out there that i that I love being a part of to get ideas and to get help from and 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 that's really just how how I world build is stealing ideas and hoping I come up with a miracle one by myself. 
kind of kind of the same question for you how do you how do you do that where do i get a lot of my inspiration yeah so a lot of it comes from history i really love reading about history okay. and um especially i especially like ninth tenth 15th 16th and 17th century europe okay all that is is what i what i really really like researching yeah. and uh i pull a lot of po politics and conflicts and start to understand what makes people fight why uh different areas are carved up the way they are and i try to apply the same reasoning to my world of nyria Okay. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but the world in Nyria is actually about 10 years old now. It's it's almost a decade. I've been working on this same world. It has slowly evolved into this grand D&D &D idea from playing with Legos. It was always the same world when I was 10 years old playing with Legos. And it started out as a map of my room. And you can actually see... Uh, pieces of my furniture in the world map today uh the <laughs> the the biggest pieces of the continents are made up of my dresser my shelf and my bunk bed oh wow yeah <laughs> and it's it's really crazy how just your imagination from the world around you the current world the historical world or just you you playing with your legos when you're 10 yeah. uh can create this this idea this living story yeah i, I think uh what kind of really got me into the whole kind of D, D scene was i loved creating the little stories with either little army men or legos where there was a mission they had to do and then you could build whatever and mm -hmm. it was there and D is just the the bigger brother of that the just a more yeah. advanced version and i think that's that's always super fun to like just go through kind of go through that process mm -hmm. and and that's super cool that you're super into history i know that i could probably look more into history and figure that out um and learn more about that to get some more of that kind of political conflict and um more maybe not so moral conundrums but different things to implement into my own setting that I'm probably lacking. Um, mm. And something you said earlier that, uh, that I realized I could really, I could really put more work into is uh, religion. I, I have a few pantheons of gods, but they're, they're very incomplete and basic. And when you were talking about the, the cobalt God or the gnomish God capturing the cobalt God, I was like, wow, that that's <laughs> really neat story and really kind of abstract uh reason for conflict and i i never even stopped to consider that um so that that's probably another thing that i could i could really put more detail in for my world yeah there's religion is something that i know a little bit more about rather than like political stuff but so much political stuff is fueled by religion um, mm -hmm. in history um but like my my main city my players are in tide crest they worship uh 
shoot, not Paylor. The the God of Light, super popular. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but a very popular they worship a very popular god and one of my players was actually a warlock sorcerer War, he was a warlock for tiamat from tiamat for tiamat whatever and he was trying to start a cult in town and little did he know Jeez. that you know like the king and basically everyone there worshiped this <laughs> this god and he he was actually able to start start in quotes this cult and um he only had like three people and um <coughs> sorry and he the the king found out and he was confronted while the players were in the middle of doing something else and they knew that the king was somebody you you don't mess with them like that's that's a guy you don't want to mess with. They've seen him do mm-hmm. insane stuff. Like, I think I have him leveled up as, like, a level 26 or 27 character just because I can because he's, he's the GOAT, King Terry, Cruz. That's what I'm talking about. And mm. they've seen him do insane stuff, and he got, like, on the bad side of King Terry, and they saw that, like, um, kind of angry side of him. And he's like, oh, shoot, I got to. I gotta stop what I'm doing, and immediately he, um, he became, he was a, he, maybe he wasn't Warlock, maybe he was a paladin, paladin of Tiamat, and so he became, uh, Oath of Redemption paladin, and then immediately started worshipping the god that everyone worshipped here, and, in the new city, (laughs) and, um, no spine, <laughs> Unfaithful. <laughs> yeah, and so like that there was that issue and so we kind of went through a, a in-game one week pro- process of him not being a paladin of Tiamat anymore but actually the the new god and he, he already kind of saw the politics while trying to recruit people. Uh like he kind of went to the slums and recruited people from around the area and kind of shady people who were like on the out outskirts of life and he would go in Mm. and try to get them and then they were confronted by the king and the guards and it's like hey knock it off this is your warning and so like that kind of like religion there becomes an issue but then i have uh this might be spoilers if he's listening but there's some stuff planned on later down the line that's going to come back that's going to come yeah right and so that see it's coming what he needs to get himself is a a wealthy respected sponsor instead of these low lifes and then the the king's not going to have a very much of a say once he starts generating a support from a or support and following from you know more substantial contributors than just uh just a few peasants that are heretics <laughs> yeah and so like there, like there's a lot that's really interesting in religion that that you can get into when building your world uh you don't have to have, that you you don't even have to have just like strict outlines on 
like this section worships this, this section worships this, this section worships this. Mm. Maybe there's lots of groups of people who worship lots of people. And so I think that's, there's a lot of really interesting conflict that you can get into um, just about that. And that to me, that's just a lot of fun to learn a little bit more about that. And I would have never gotten the idea for, the gnome god imprisoning the cobalt gold god uh one of my players actually told me about that and they're like so this is an issue that's gonna appear is this or this could be an issue is this something that's a part of the lore in your world and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah it is now it is now <laughs> see one of my one of my fixes because i knew i was lacking in uh religion is that i had the religious followings split into about three different sections i had the new gods which were the five the five that you worship uh the the big five that represent the continent the the side of the continent that we were on the uh the saviors of the realm so to speak okay uh that's what that was the kind of the that world's equivalent of christianity it's the one that the majority of the people there expected you to follow okay. um, versus the old gods or the pagan gods uh, that uh, more tribal societies would, would follow or some more ancient societies would still follow in spite of the, the new five. Uh, <laughs> the old gods literally just meant anybody but other than the five. Okay. <laughs> so if if your character worshipped Athena, she's she's one of the old gods. If your character worshipped somebody from the D and D Lord, one of the old gods. <laughs> Any anything. Okay. And that that's how I patched up. That's how I patched up my pantheon. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think uh, for the most part, I just have. I think I'm like okay, all gods are go, all pantheons are a go. But depending on where you go, they might, they may or may not be worshipped there. They may not or may not be recognized as even a proper religion where you're going. Um, and that's kind of my my patch on how I on how I dealt with that. Not not the best, but I mean, <coughs> yeah, you, you do what you, do you, what gotta, you gotta do. do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, but but there's so much fun lore out there that you can do with religion. Maybe. Um, a large city is going to crap and the two rival religions that are there are fighting to gain power between each other and you and the players got to go in and fix it but neither religion is wrong but neither religion is right in what they're doing so now they kind of got to pick you know and mm-hmm. so they got to go in and deal with this and they know that say they pick religion a that the people religion b might be more or less uh, oppressed um but and then if vice versa if they pick the other one so and maybe they come to a decision where there's there's no religion involved in the politics and they set up a completely new new way of doing everything and there there's a lot of real um there's a lot of real fun stuff that you can really do it with that and so I just think there's a, I think it's just a lot of fun trying to come up with these different, in quotes, conundrums for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I, you know what I find funny? 
I was I was reading through the the Dungeon Master's Guide. There is almost as much, if not more, on the different religions and cultures. Or not, you know what? Not even counting the cultures. There's more on the religions and pantheons of these gods than there is on dungeon running. Yep. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I, I was actually just thinking about that. I'm like, something here doesn't make sense. Like, hmm. I think they're prioritizing. Yeah. And But I, I think just like religion is a really fun thing um, that, that can put a lot on the on the player's shoulders without having a correct answer to to a problem you know is that making sense i think so okay yeah and so i i there's just so much fun that that can be had when world building and and, and creating uh, I think uh, one of my favorite parts of it is actually building the NPCs that go into the oh, world. Oh, really? Yeah, I love, I love NPC uh, creating. Um, there's, it gives. I think to me, having a fleshed out NPC can really help expand the world for, for my players. Um, in in my world, uh, there's King Terry, who my players see once or twice a session not because i put him there but because they're like we wouldn't go see king terry like he's become <laughs> such a, a a popular person for them that they want to be they they want to go see him they want to go see what he has to to offer what he can help with what what he needs help with um i also have a a, a blacksmith in the world sorry for that background noise that's teddy coughing um <laughs> I, I also have a blacksmith oh, in teddy. my world yeah poor dog um, I have a blacksmith in my world named Nikolas, um, who who's got a really bad Russian accent because I have a really bad Russian accent, <laughs> and um, this, this wouldn't happen to be the same Nikolas as the Hell Solstice Nikolas, is it? You don't remember I don't Nicholas? I don't okay. think so. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Yep. But the, I've I've had this guy built for a long time. And he's this blacksmith, and he's he loves being with with the with the party, even though he has his job. So like sometimes like he'll be like hyping himself up for like whatever the party's doing. He's like, oh wait, I gotta stay here and work instead. And he loves the the Nikolas loves being with them and brings an excitement to the table that sometimes I realize the players might need a, a jolt of excitement to get them going, and then that can that can move forward for them. And then with each character having a background and a planned background, if they ask about it, I have something, I have something ready for them that they can learn a little bit about. Um, Nicholas, he was an only child and uh, he wanted to be in the crafts. Um, he wanted to sing or paint. Uh, I think, I think originally he had wanted to be a bard growing up and his parents were like workers and they didn't want that for him so he instead kind of went to blacksmithing as instead as it was like a good medium between the crafts and being with people and he he actually started a corporation called the buff bros corporation where it's a bunch of <laughs> really ripped and big dudes blacksmiths and artisans who get together and like meet and talk and have issues and 
the players can be involved in that and they can see that there's a, at least a little bit of thought this behind my NPCs and how they're going to get interactions in the present and how they might get future interactions um, with that character. And then having that background also gives me a good point to go back to when I'm playing that character and don't forget him. Um, uh, uh, for uh, every time I build a character, I always start with a, a basic description. Uh, uh, King Terry is Terry Crews, so that's really easy. But like mm. I have uh, my captain of the of the guard in Tidecrest, uh, Captain Marvin Wiggles. He's a half elf. He's six one, <laughs> light pale skin, like s- slim but muscular. Weighs one hundred ninety five pounds, and he's a wood elf, wood half elf. And so having that description can give me a really good idea on how they might act um, towards the players. Uh, if somebody's five foot three and really scrawny, maybe they're they're used to a little bit of mistrust in the world and they're not as willing to interact. But if they're standing up straight, they got confidence. They're probably a little bit more likely to interact with the characters and really mm. get into that get into that process. I for me, that's a lot of fun trying to trying to come up with that and come up with different ways for my players to interact with the world. That's really neat. I've uh, I found that backstories are a excellent tool for player immersion, oh, and yeah. not just like your NPC backgrounds, but encouraging your players and walking them through how to create backstories for their own character, uh, and then taking those backstories and incorporating them into your campaign, into your world. Yes. That is a real treat for players. I've found. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. is personalizing the the story to them as well, and again, uh, back to what we were talking about, uh, our players adding in to the story, it helps grow your own world as well. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's the players love it. Uh, I really enjoy putting their backstories in um, when I try to start a campaign or maybe just a small series. Maybe it's not a full campaign. Maybe it's three or four missions that they're doing. Um, I try to get my players to give me a backstory before we start the campaign so that way I can have something to go on and add into the story later. Um, one thing that I do, I, I've been doing in this campaign is uh, all of my players actually have two characters. In each mission, they kind of get to interact with both, but then they pick one for the mission Um to, to use so that way they don't get tired of using the same character for months on months. They have they have two different players. Um, like one of my one of my players, Trevor, uh, he runs a, a sorcerer kobold, and he runs a human gunslinger. So two huh. very different characters, and it gives him the option to play two different ways without getting burnt out. Um, that he can really enjoy enjoy playing. Okay, I, real quick uh, sidetrack. My players just uh, messaged me. I asked them what the god that was worshipped in Tidecrest, and it was it, it was Palor, was ah. was the god they worshipped. So a major, pretty major god in in the world. Um, but kind of back backtracking to the characters real quick. Um, hmm. I had the cobalt who had the beef with the gnome so that became an issue that was able that we're exploring still and then my gunslinger um in my world i didn't really have any gunslingers uh it wasn't a it's not it's definitely not a common 
group of people that you would find in the world and so we kind of went on a backstory and created it where his character was the first one to create the gun and kind of in quotes hmm. and then we took it he's like all right well you're probably academic so what if we put you in some sort of university and so we're like oh we can use that university over there or in my head i'm like oh we can use the university that's over here there's no university there yet and and we're like yeah that works and we're like okay maybe your dad uh, you had to have a lot of materials to build this and maybe a little bit of influence maybe your dad was the dean of one of the colleges there and maybe your your mom was uh, a professor or something of some sort that you you were able to go in and have a little bit of influence there and now the the players uh, in their next couple missions are going to have to head back there and um, my, my player Trevor, he's gonna his character is gonna have to deal with his dad, who is a little bit disproving of him adventuring and going out. Um, and so they're gonna have to deal with that kind of role play. And I want to try to make sure that I can get all my players um, a little bit of that that backstory and immersion, where they actually get to interact and deal with part of their background. Because um, mm. I I think that's I think that's super important. Obviously. Um, there, you can't always do that if you're running one-shot modules, mm-hmm. or, or or even most modules. It's it can be really hard to try to write a player's backstory into it. But I think for me, that's really fun to try to try to take that and then move it into what they're what they're trying to do. Right. I uh, for the the one shot that we're playing, I asked everybody to make a backstory for their character and then share it with me and also explain in their backstory how they would have come under service of the particular duke which helps me uh, as the dm because i don't have to come up with some spectacular tie together that brings everybody under the service of this duke the uh, the players decide that for themselves yeah and sometimes that just ends up working out great mm-hmm. so even if i don't get to uh use all their backstory in, throughout the the one shot it'll it'll still matter uh to the the individual players of yeah. how they've they've gotten it helps tell the story a little bit beyond the only session that it's going to be yeah okay that's pretty cool and it's always helpful to have a player backstory um mm-hmm. Oh, just in general it's it's nice yeah. gives a gives a little personality figures figures the player out how to how to role play their their character? Yeah, and I, that that's what I was about to say. It gives them a sense of how they want to move, interact with their their goals, ambitions. What are what are they afraid of? Maybe, and that all plays into how they role play, which is pretty important. I, I'm I'm a big RPer. I love role playing. Mm-hmm. Um, combat's I, I love combat as well, but there's just something special about role play and really getting into it and letting the players. Um, and letting the players play, essentially. I, I just think that's so much fun. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's where we're going to leave off uh, today's podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, Alrighty. for listening to uh, What's Dom Thinking About this week. Uh, like I said, our guest is Riley. Uh, give give a round of applause at home for Riley. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I really well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. It was a lot of fun.
Well, thank you'll you. Have to send me, you'll have to send me your uh, your character backstory uh, after this because I do want to I do want to read it. <laughs> you yeah. haven't sent it to me yet. Yep. All right. All right. Thank you everybody for uh, listening, and I hope you have a great day.